The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello, my friend, and welcome to another episode of Negotiate Anything. Thanks for spending time with us today. It's listeners like you in 181 different countries that have made Negotiate Anything the most popular negotiation and conflict resolution podcast in the world. I'm your host, Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer, mediator, professor, and the director of the American Negotiation Institute. Before we get started, I have two quick questions for you. Is negotiation a critical part of what you do? Do you need to resolve conflict and persuade at work? If you answered yes to both of those questions, visit our website to learn more about our negotiation workshops. We've traveled the country working with professionals just like you, and we'd love to have the opportunity to work with you too. Check out the link in the description to learn more. Rebecca, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Kwame. Yeah, it's our pleasure. So how would you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? So I work for an organization called ADR International. We're a procurement consultancy, small but global. And part of my role is to give advice about procurement teams and skills to multinational organizations around the world. And one aspect of that is spending time with procurement people, coaching them to get ready for their commercial negotiations, which I love very much. Fascinating, a mixture of different types of organizations and suppliers, all with their own unique challenges. That's fantastic. Great. Yeah. And this, uh, and that just segues perfectly into why you're here talking about international procurement negotiations. And so for the listeners out there, let's give you a brief outline of what we're going to talk about today. Uh, first, we're going to talk about why international procurement negotiation is an essential skill. Then we're going to talk about how the practices and behaviors differ for these specific kinds of negotiations. And then we're going to end up with talking about how we know we've been successful in international negotiations. So this is exciting. And uh, it's a topic that we haven't talked about yet in particular on the show. So I'm excited to jump into it. So let's just start off with the first point. Why is international procurement an essential skill? It's a great question. And I think the international part speaks a lot about the times we live in. For any procurement person, whether you're buying services local to your office or hometown, or whether you're buying goods from another country, there is always an international element to it. Perhaps you're buying some IT services where the equipment has components that were made in another country, or you're buying some services where some consumables come from overseas. So whatever sort of category or commodity we're buying in, there's an international element and the choices that we make as procurement people ricochet down the supply chain and affect many countries, often in the developing world. So there's a strong element of sustainability to the negotiations that we have, thinking carefully about how lives and communities are affected. But most importantly for the buyer, the nature of the negotiation is very different now. 
for most buyers who were either buying internationally or locally before, they felt as if they had perhaps the, the balance of power was on their side. They had choice, they had flexibility. And I think what most of us who've been with procurement have found over the last 10 plus years is that that has shifted very much where the procurement person doesn't feel as if they have the power because organizations have merged, because we often make few long-term relationships when we have contractual discussions. And it may mean that when you step into a supplier negotiation, there's a tremendous amount of pressure that you must do the deal, that you have no backup at all. And suddenly I think that changes the dynamic and when we're dealing with an international negotiation, then we often have things like language barriers, cultural differences, different perceptions, which shift a little bit. So that's really the context of international negotiation that I was hoping to talk a little bit more about today. That's really exciting because I think in the, the procurement world, a lot of times we focus on just getting deals done. What is the best deal that we could potentially get? We focus on the numbers and we focus on getting the highest quality product at the lowest, lowest price possible. But what you're saying really is that we have to kind of expand our perspective on what we're doing in these negotiations because there's going to be a ripple effect that not only affects our company, not only our supplier, but many other countries in developing nations, right? And we have to consider those things because they not only impact other people, but eventually if, we're, if we don't take a sustainable approach, it'll ripple effect, the ripple effect will come back towards us, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And it's a huge responsibility that whilst you might be in an organization, as you say, working on a single deal, and there's pressure to save money on that deal, the choices that you make have this huge impact that we as buyers don't often see ourselves as a, as a sort of global community, but there's millions of us around the world that are ultimately driving changes that could decide, you know, where there is labor migration of individuals between countries and how companies choose to set their production schedules and design products in order to meet the needs of the buyer. So there's a massive choice going on. And, and this dynamic of the power balance that we see in negotiation means that often as buyers it's our role to somehow sort of reverse market to suppliers to try and become a customer of choice and to ensure that really we're the company who gets loyalty we're the ones who kind of secure innovation and commitment and superior performance it's not the case that yay I've got money and everyone's going to come to me suppliers have a choice about which buyers they want to work with. And the choice is about whether the buyer works in an ethical way, choices about whether the buyer is a good fit for their business. All of these things play into negotiation exactly as you say, so that the conversation is much wider than just the deal. And, you know, sustainability is, is just as powerful at home when I'm making choices to buy from the community in which an organization um, is based in, we then be making, may be making choices, for example, to ensure suppliers sponsor local apprentices or they're making sure they're working with small 
minority-owned businesses or veteran-owned businesses, which are just as important to ensure the diversity and health of that, of that community as well. So, you know, that, that global versus local buying choice always comes up in negotiation as well as the buyer thinking, to what extent am I the customer of choice? So the key thing for that procurement person is really to think about segmenting their existing suppliers into different groups based on how critical that supplier is to the organization. And criticality is partly about the the sustainability piece, about the local versus global. And it's partly about to what extent that supplier affects the profitability, the success, the reputation of your business. And there'll always be a handful of strategic vendors who really do have a massive impact on your business. And they are the ones who deserve a very different style of negotiation, I think. Absolutely the sort of style where we are using the compassionate listening framework that you promote in your book that I'm a massive fan of, of thinking, you know, emotion first and listening compassionately and carefully and assuming that joint problem solving is the right way to go ahead, that it sometimes feels counterintuitive for buyers who want to just get that deal and save some money to have to turn that around and think about treat the negotiation as a journey, you know, and we may not necessarily resolve or achieve all of our needs in one discussion, but through the course of that long-term relationship with a strategic partner, we are both moving towards some of the mutual goals that we've designed. So I'm a big fan of that framework as a, as a really effective way of engaging closely with those few segmented suppliers who we've identified as business critical. Wow. So listeners, you remember sometimes when I remember to do it, I talk about the five star point. So always try to listen to the episode and say, what is the one point that's worth five stars? And then I encourage you to write a five star review. Well, I have my five star point and that is Rebecca likes my book. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. It's the real deal. It's, (laughs) It's great stuff. I appreciate it. But this is, this is really great. And I, I think now we, we, have a better understanding of the the impact of our footprints during these negotiations. And so let's say there's somebody out there listening to this and they say, wow, I never thought of myself as somebody with such responsibility. I remember the corporate responsibility and the fiduciary responsibility and the financial responsibility for my company, but I didn't think about the impact that it has internationally. And so let's say now I'm sold. I want to focus on sustainability and I want to focus on equity and I want to consider all of those things. However, the person who manages me is all about the bottom line. And so I'm bringing all of these different elements in, which allow, me, which allow me to be a lot more creative in the deal. But the person who tells me which deals to get and how to do it doesn't care about that. So yes. how do I negotiate with that person to get them to see it this way? Does your company invest in professional development training? If you believe that your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop, all you need to do is go to our website, fill out the workshop request form, and then we'll set up a time to chat. These workshops are completely customizable and we've done them all around the country. Negotiation and conflict resolution skills are beneficial across all professions, but they're especially useful in procurement, purchasing, sales, sourcing, and contract management. 
Our calendar is filling up quickly and we even have some workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I'd suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Check out the link in the description to learn more. And now, back to the show. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Laura Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. It's a great question, and you are quite right. Before we can think about negotiating with our third parties externally, we've got to negotiate with our internal colleagues and all the business stakeholders who influence the buy in so many ways, as you say, and sustainability is one element of that. And I think a great way to do it is to use the information that our suppliers are giving us the reason why we've chosen to use suppliers instead of just doing the work ourselves is because we believe they are experts. They know the market and they know the products and services better than we can. And they give us access to advantage that we can't do by ourselves. So why not access their knowledge about their own supply chains, about what they are doing to support small and medium-sized businesses or to engage with overseas communities because they're a massive wealth of information and data back to the listening, right? You said it, you listen, you learn along the way. So making use of the supplier information really helps to form that business case internally. And I I don't see those internal conversations in any way as barriers or any sort of um, area of conflict, quite the opposite. The more opportunities we have to negotiate internally, the more chance we have to build those relationships, to establish rapport, and to find a way of working that ultimately when we negotiate and we've got to hand over that deal to our colleagues internally to manage on a day-to-day basis, they totally get it. They're bought into it. They know the right behaviors to use that match the relationship that we're looking for. And if that does include things like conflict resolution and problem solving, let's make sure they've got those skills early. And the best way to get those skills out into the community is through negotiation. That's exactly what negotiation is all about. Even with our colleagues, same process of creativity and finding out needs and testing and questioning and through those discussions ensuring that our colleagues know the facts about the choices that we're making and how that impacts 
the sustainability choice, but also that they're aware that we have to present a united front as an organization in negotiation. And we can't be having those discussions where you're nudging the person next to you saying, stop it, stop talking. Don't do, don't say that. You know, we've, we've got to come together before the external negotiation and agree a team approach because when we condition effectively and we can, you know, hand over to our colleagues and say, Hey, you know, my colleague has a perspective about that too. And you're completely saying the same narrative, that same stories coming through about your needs. It's, it's powerful. So, to me, those conversations about sustainability are a wonderful vehicle and a gateway to engage the supply market and get their expertise and to engage our internal colleagues. So I see it as an absolute benefit for everybody. Oh, this is great. I feel like our whole episode could be on, on that. So <laughs> I think true. that might be the next time you come back, we'll go deeper into this. That's fantastic. <laughs> and, and so when we talk about, and, and shifting into the second point here, when we talk about international negotiations versus our standard domestic negotiations, what are some of the key differences that we need to keep in mind between those two types of negotiation? Yeah, it's, it's a great point getting into cross-cultural negotiation. And when we're speaking to people who maybe um, don't share the same first language as us and have different cultural references and perhaps slightly different accounting systems, all of these things impact the negotiation. And I think for all of our negotiators, again, something like the compassionate listening, compassionate listening framework is a great starting point to ensure that the listening ears are on, that we're striving to listen more than we are to talk so that we fully understand and give our cross-cultural counterparts a, an opportunity to really explore and explain so we can get to the bottom of some of the root causes behind their positions or their needs or their goals but also I think to take a bit of a step back when we're thinking about the need to um, explore and expand on emotion because I think cross-culturally emotion may have a slightly different um, role to play. It may well be that our colleagues from other cultures see talking about emotion as an irrelevance. They may see it as something a little threatening. They may think that it, it's uh, soft in some way and that it's taking away from the business of negotiation. And so I think we need to approach it um, you know, perhaps obliquely, you know, from a slightly different perspective, because the reality is everybody still has these emotions. As human beings, we all feel the fear of rejection, the anxiety, the pressures from our boss, as you say, to secure the deal. This is true regardless of the country or the culture we're negotiating with. And the importance, I think, of allowing people to save face, to not feel pushed, insulted, as if they've been um, embarrassed into doing something. You know, it, people talk about this perhaps in Asian cultures, but it is, it is nothing that's unique to any culture. It is relevant for all humans, I think, that suddenly the importance of allowing people to save face and to not make them feel like you told me to do this or that 
push my red button, you know, when you, when you implied that I, I wasn't an expert on this. We need to be much more cautious, I think, on this topic and, and really just have the courtesy to listen as, as broadly as we can before we get into that problem-solving mode. Realistically, from a practical perspective, I found international negotiations work better when you slow the pace. So if you need to chunk it into several smaller discussions of a shorter amount of time, do that. You know, don't kid yourself that you're going to lock yourself all together in, a, in an online call or in a room and you're going to get things done in one day. That is normally counterproductive. You know, allow yourself the breaks, the thinking time, the time to come back together with your colleagues internally and really reflect on what was being said and unsaid and, and allow yourself to, um, you know, really um, think about not just what people have said their needs are, but what, what's behind that, what are the underlying motivations and how can you help some of your colleagues to, to meet those needs? Because I think that shifts the dynamic so much in international negotiations instead of this sense of, I'm trying to steal value from you and this money is mine and not yours. We, we can actually slowly move things to a more collaborative state of mind if we just pace things a little um, in a more measured way. Right. It, it sounds like the, the key then is uh, going to be humility and it's going to be curiosity and it's yes. going to be patience. And I think the, the more humility you bring to the conversation, the more you're willing to recognize the assumptions that I have aren't facts their assumptions. They, they yeah. might not be true. These are hypotheses that I can test through the discussion. And then that triggers the curiosity. Because if you recognize, hey, I don't know everything, now I'm going to be more curious to learn. And that helps us to understand the culture of the person of, on the other side, which helps us to make fewer mistakes. And then when we get to patience, that helps us to slow down. If we're not so hungry for the deal, exactly. we can slow down and it makes us a lot less likely to make mistakes. Because the thing is, if we're dealing with somebody who is like us, they're from the same culture, the same uh, country, um, it's easy for us to, easier for us to recognize potential issues. Yes. But if we're dealing with somebody who is in a different culture, they see things differently. We might think everything's okay, yes. but we're not trained to see those issues. <laughs> and if we go too quickly, we can't reconcile the situation. We can't slow things down and, and rectify the mistakes that we've made. And sometimes yes. those mistakes could kill the deal, kill the relationship. And so slowing down would help to make sure that you can avoid those mistakes or stop sooner <laughs> when you are making exactly. the mistake. Exactly. And, you know, Kwame, I think you're so right when you talk about this sense of someone in the same culture, we may feel as if we have lots in common. But I think in international negotiations, it's we must be cautious that we don't mistake that rapport for trust. You know, it just because somebody happens to have things in common with us and we can say, oh, that's that's the soccer team that I support too. It doesn't automatically mean it's a great deal or we're going to have a successful business relationship together. We've got to be quite tough on ourselves, I think. And as you say, not, not assume that the facts are going to resolve things. And again, I, I love this in your book, you know, treat the facts you said as stories and allow people to tell those stories and, and not to be insulted by thinking, well, their facts are different from mine, but I'm right, so they must be wrong. It's, it's a very different approach. And, you know, all cultures, 
all humans have a wonderful ancient history of storytelling. You know, we're all our role in, in our cultures. We all listen quite a lot because that's what we had to do before we could write anything down. We had to just listen and retell stories. It's such a human thing to do. I think when we embrace that in negotiation, cross-culturally, we, we find that we, we can suddenly open up avenues through stories that may not have been there when we were just talking about numbers and business cases. Right. And you know, this this point on culture is a, gives us a really great opportunity to segue into the third point, which is how do we know whether or not we've done well in these negotiations? Because when, as this d- discussion has developed, it made me realize that sometimes financially you might say to yourself, wow, this was a great deal. I really nailed it on this deal. But then when you look down the the road and you think about potential issues with sustainability and you look at potential issues with the relationship because you might have inadvertently um, damaged the relationship because of a cultural faux pas. And so now I'm realizing when we're analyzing these international deals, there might be some new standards that we need to consider when evaluating our performance. So what types of things should we keep in mind? I think you're absolutely right. You know, history suddenly judges us in a very different light. And I think if we have evaluated in a very holistic way, bringing in the total cost of the deal, because maybe the price was nice, but the cost of transitioning to the deal or the ongoing internal costs are huge and we will pay much more in the long run than we'd hope to do. I think from a cost perspective, from a sustainability perspective, And ultimately, from a relationship perspective, recognizing that the relationship that we've both been building has value in its own right. And over the long term, relationship quality will be visible in the performance we see from that deal. When we see deals performing well and they're achieving the benefits they should do, the customer is satisfied, the feedback is great, there are no complaints and we're not getting a variance in quality. That is because everybody has continued to invest in that relationship. They've continued to invest their proactive behavior. They've continued to problem solve long into the relationship. It's just become a great habit that the relationship managers just do, uh, you know, on a normal basis. And they've got that humility and courtesy that you mentioned to not assume that they know the answers if things have gone wrong, to ask, what, you know, why did this happen? What were the circumstances by which this deal has gone awry? And what are the circumstances that we can bring on track? And, and to, again, just keep that dialogue and that discussion going. Because, you know, for so many buyers, we we can get easily stuck as procurement in a framework where we say it's the buyer's job to buy and it's the seller's job to sell. We have different jobs. We want different things. It is impossible for us to somehow achieve harmony and accord in our mindset. And I think success is where you feel so far removed from that mindset. It's been proven that you have made the choice to come together as a team and you are now working effectively as a team where we don't get hung up on 
or well, it, it was that person's accountability to follow up on that. There's just stuff that needs doing and we do it and we can resolve any issues that happen. And it's really fantastic to see those effective relationships because people feel good about them and they want to be part of that team. You know, it's like a great squad that they feel wonderful, proud to be, you know, proud to be a part of instead of that buyer's job and seller's job, which is really just creating an environment of conflict, which rolls on down the years of the deal. So I see relationship quality being just as powerful as the actual um, outputs, you know, those tangible things from the deal, like the costs and like the sustainability elements, which could and should be measured on an ongoing basis because the world changes, as we know. Right. Oh, this is fantastic. And it makes you realize, too, that we need to consider the relationship, but also recognize that the relationship often can look like the stock market. They're going to be ups, they're going to be downs. And once you recognize there's a down, you can do some things to bring it back up. And, yeah. and sometimes what you can do is actually parlay those, those mistakes into opportunities to strengthen the relationship. And the way that you handle those difficult situations where things might not have gone as planned, maybe for some reason you didn't perform as well as you could, the, the way that you come back in those conversations and you apologize and you say, listen, this happened, what can we do to fix it? The way you can come back um, provides you with an opportunity to not only rebuild the part of the relationship that might have been broken, but if you do it really well, you might actually make the relationship stronger in the future as a result of it. You're absolutely right. And I love the way how you kept reiterating that importance of curiosity in the deal-making phase and beyond, because it may well be that things didn't quite turn out as planned. And rather than instantly jumping into the blame and the claims that we see and people claiming on warranties and the financial elements like you know, negative incentives and sanctions in deals, why not let's first establish, oh, that's interesting that happened. I, I wonder why that was. And it might well be for all sorts of cross-cultural cultural reasons in an international negotiation, when things get operationalized, the performance is slightly different in different countries because of regional variances or because the governance environment's different. And that can catch us off guard a little bit. And rather than sort of jumping to say that was wrong, let's take that curiosity and understand what, what are the reasons for that? Because that's going to completely affect the solution. So I love how the importance of listening and curiosity again, those great habits that if we introduce that with our colleagues in those internal negotiations, we have confidence as procurement people that when the supplier managers are managing the relationship internationally, which is tough, you know, you can't just go for a drive down the street and go speak to some of the suppliers who you're working with. You're going to be doing a lot of this remotely, but we've got the right framework in place to do that. You know, we, we practiced it and now all we're doing is, is just living those habits daily. Right. Oh, this is fantastic. Well, before you go, um, I want to give you an opportunity to remind the listeners about who you are, your company, and how they can get in touch with you. Thank you, Kwame. That's kind of you. So I'm Rebecca Howard. I'm Director of Learning at ADR International. And you can find us through our website, adr-international.com, or you can find me, Rebecca Howard, ADR, on LinkedIn. And Kwame, thanks for that opportunity. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it.
Thanks for having me. Congratulations, you've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you, and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.